talk about revolution that's going a little bit too far. So love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing. Our show, we're here now in 2023. We take a look back at now into season seven of formerly Aaron Sorkin's show, The West Wing, from a more modern leftist socialist perspective. I am Dave. And I am Stu. And we are here to cram two episodes together in our ongoing <laughs> quest to get through <laughs> to the trudge finish. that is... <laughs> the trudge that is season seven to trudge as chaucer would say uh this episode is entitled here today uh parentheses gone tomorrow not not actually there but uh, i guess that's the implication because this is mainly about toby uh being here today and gone tomorrow from the white house as uh the consequences of his leak uh become known to everyone in the white house yeah, so Toby basically confesses to CJ. We get the whole drama carryover from the last episode. <laughs> literally re- repeating like, the literally scene. Literally repeating the footage. Assuming the viewers cannot remember what happened last week. Like, not in the previously on part of the episode. Literally, the episode opens up with just a copy-paste of the last minute from the last episode. It's so, so lazy. Yes, and well, and speaking of lazy, we then get... The the retread of the same thing that always happens with every lawyer every time lawyers get involved in this mm-hmm. show. So CJ calls somebody over from the White House counsel office. Guy shows up and says, like, fucking go sit in the Roosevelt room and, and, shut, the, no and shut the fuck up. I will mm-hmm. be with you in a second. At which point, mm-hmm. the only good guest star... Oliver Platt shows up, thank God, welcome back, Yay. doing some more pretty good comedy work here with some very dry material where... Sure, he and uh, Toby get to have a dry off, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's a dry a sarcasm off. off. It's a dry off. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and I just, there is really, like, nothing happens with this because, A, it's so inconsequential. I don't care about, like leaking classified information who cares and yet they devote so much time to this on screen and again in a just classic lazy writer's fashion it's like dozens and dozens of seconds of oliver platt going did you ever speak to anyone about this Mm -hmm. did you ever elocute to anyone about this Mm -hmm. did you ever interrogate anyone about this did you like, ever send a trained carrier pigeon to yeah, someone no. with this <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. do you have phone records do you have email? and it's like we like, get it show right but you oh, can, okay you can fill up this the time. down like, but they like they really do go for like every angle of it and the problem is we've seen this on west wing before yeah and like not just like seasons ago with like ms or before that with leo and pills or whatnot, but even just recently with Margaret and then with CJ of, you know, doing the lawyerly questions, you know, the, the de- deposition style questions yeah. of asking, you know, every fucking rigmarole, fucking liability variable way of asking the same question. And it's just like, it's so boring and they spend so many minutes on this until finally Toby's lawyer shows up and goes, it's shut the fuck up Friday, Toby. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? You are shutting the fuck up. 
I, I really like her thing about it where Toby's like, no, no, it's whatever. I'm just going to like tell the truth or whatever. She's like, no, fuck that. You hired me and I have my own goddamn reputation to uphold. I'm like, fuck you. Fuck this noble bullshit. Like, so people are going to ask, how did my client wind up with six years for not shutting the fuck up? Didn't you tell him to shut the fuck up? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I am not personally going to jail, but my career might be if I fuck this up by letting you run your goddamn mouth. So she has we've seen her before specifically way back in season three um, when there is a scene at some campaign event for Bartlett Two, where this woman shows up and Amy Gardner chases her off from mm. interacting with the first lady and the first lady oh, is like yes. holy shit you just wow you really you worked her like you you can come work for me now it's the <laughs> yeah. same woman so there is some uh, canonical continuation of this character <laughs> maybe she was working at a uh, you know activist firm before yeah and now, and now she's private practice but yeah um she's she's great and then, like, you know, once Babish comes back, Toby has taken the lesson and goes on advice of counsel. I'm not going to say anything anymore. And then Babish and uh, this lady get to have this great little look where Babish is like, I know what you did. And she's like, yeah, of course I did. And he's just like, damn you. <laughs> and, they, and they she walks out the door. It's like, uh, what is it? Um, we can settle it with a talking like this contest, and they just look at each other. It's like, okay, yeah. see ya. <laughs> um, uh, it's so good. Like as I said in my notes, every fucking White House staffer should have an army of this kind of woman, like retainered up. Like, what is this idea that like if you hire a lawyer, you're guilty? No, you should all have an army of exactly this kind of person. Yeah, because and there's actually another real an interesting podcast I've been listening to such catching up on lately called All Lawyers Are Bastards. And it's basically it's like four lawyers who are in the middle of their careers who just talk through kind of like the slightly more technical and the wise of what they do. It's actually a really fun listen. And it's always just just like yeah. the reason that because they've, they've become the modern day priest class where the laws are, you know, the the word of God. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think I've literally one of the examples they give at some point is like, if you are a dirt farmer in 1100, like you don't get to go, you don't get to go talk to God. You need me to talk to God or else you're going to fuck it up. And Mm -hmm. like, this is kind of like the same thing with a judge. It's literally this. Yeah. It's like you, you, you will absolutely not do this. And I'm looking out for your best interest. Whereas like, in the past, it was a little bit more exploitative, right. obviously. Right. <laughs> you can't go talk to God, a.k.a. the judge, by yourself. Yeah. You're going to fuck it up. <laughs> you're going to fuck it up, and you're going to end up in purgatory. And, you know, that's why AKA you should pay jail. me a gazillion dollars for some indulgences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a.k.a. lawyerly advice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, that happens. Nothing happens. Um, I'm really bored yeah, by Toby. Goes, Toby gets fired at the end. Toby gets Bartlett, fired. And... It's very much done as, like, a formality, and they try to, like, put this tiny bit of animosity, but, like, Sheen is not selling it, and I just don't feel it. Uh, it's just, like, you know, he gets fired because he has to get fired, because, you know, he leaks secrets or whatever. Well, and they, they really... Well, the consequences of my actions. They really try the reverse, I can't accept your letter of resignation trick. right. Where instead of like, I'm not accepting your letter of resignation because I'm not letting you resign. It's, I'm not right, accepting your letter because I have rock. to fire you. <laughs> right. It's because, no, legally, I must fire you. Yeah. 
Uh, so that happens, uh, and Toby gets fired. Yep, Hooray. and Toby gets fired. They really try to play it up for, like, pathos in the show or whatever, it's, it's, but, like, again, maybe it's just because of my foreknowledge of knowing this all ultimately becomes a nothing burger or whatever, but it's like, honestly, Toby, go home and spend time with your fucking kids, man. Yeah. Like, congratulations, you've been freed of the Sisyphean uh, uh, work torment that is this fucking West Wing White House. Yeah. Yeah. So go, let's go get some sleep. Go spend some time <laughs> with your children. No, well, you know, he we we all know he won't do that. He's going to like mope around heroically. Right. He has to go brood. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like yo. He's fucking angel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. Uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and discuss a couple other subplots from the first episode. So there's a few other minor subplots throughout this episode. One of the most minor, and that seems to be brought in literally just as a comedy beat, is uh, Ellie shows up, and to uh, presumably so that her parents can meet her new boyfriend slash fiance, um, who's this great like nebbish, nervous, you know, skinny research scientist just, type. Yeah, who. Uh, <laughs> Abby tells Bartlett not to call him the fruit fly guy like he's fucking Jeff Goldblum from The Fly. He's a research scientist. Uh, but yeah, they, they have awkward news as uh, it turns out they're getting married and they want to get married soon because there is a uh, ticking timer in, uh, in Ellie's uterus. <laughs> Jeez, so this is, this is actually really awful. Like, I, I usually am a, a huge fan of Abby in any presentation in this, but they write again, the writers, oh, right. the writers are like, we are going to take a full minute of screen time. So, you know, 3% of the entire episode to do a <laughs> joke about being glad that Ellie isn't a lesbian. Yeah. What in the fuck? This comes out of nowhere while they're discussing like, Oh, the fruit fly guy. And they're making their jokes or whatever. And Abby just goes on this like very, uh, liberal thing of like you know I would have been okay if she was gay but like thank fucking god she's not gay like wh- what <laughs> what it's where did like, this come from it's just like the the goddamn Christian Chenoa thing last episode where she's like uh, uh, okay right. okay do you all right do do you think that you are progressively losing the audience's attention over the course of like forty five seconds, and then like you just need to say something insane to like hook them back in? It's like oh, we need to set the hook in the watchers, or else they're gonna wander away. Yeah, it's two thousand five. There's all sorts of shit happening. It's, like uh, it's the dangling keys theory, back. You know, <laughs> yeah. except in this case, it's just throw something completely <laughs> provocative out there, like insane homophobia from the first lady all of a sudden oh my god it's bad so what what in the world but anyway then they actually have the meeting and i really really love this uh actor that they got to play her fiance because he's just like he's the kind of guy that was was he would have trouble engaging bartlett on anything even like good news 
but he but he has to come and tell them, "Hey, I knocked up your daughter, so we have to get married real fast." <laughs> and he just looks like he wants the earth to swallow him whole the entire time, and it's, it's like, really just incredible work. Oh, uh, um, Mr. Mr. President, um, I have to become your son now because yeah. I, I had sex with your daughter. Yeah, yeah. Ellie, Ellie has to do like ninety percent of the talking because this guy can barely squeak out a sentence. <laughs> it's yep. really good stuff. Um, oh, jumping ships entirely. Uh, just want to shout out Terry Polo as Helen Santos does some great work. Where early on she's on the plane with him and she's like, "Hey, let's like watch a movie together on the plane." You know, we got forty five minutes, and he's like, "No, I, I must do president stuff. Like, go over speech notes." And she's, like, trying her best to, like, keep some sort of romantic energy in their marriage. And he's just like, no, work. But anyway, she puts on, like, her own movie. And then later we get this great comedy beat of her, like, reacting to this horror movie while with her headphones in. So she's just reacting to silence. Ostensibly like, while Josh is, like, <laughs> briefing the president or the, the candidate or something. So well, she's, about, like... About staff firings, yeah. by the way. Like, a very serious topic. And she's doing these great comedy reactions to the movie. And it's just fantastic. Again, fantastic acting work. She's um, a real... It's one of Emma's, like favorite favorite parts of the show she loves and i, I, I forget she, if she was in meet the parents it was before this right because yeah she does some good physical comedy in that too i, I can see where the legacy came from and i think uh my, my wife modeled her at least her wardrobe after terry polo in the west wing <laughs> as a professional <laughs> political operative so um yeah let's see what else i mean so will is here Will's will back. also shows up Will has his old job back all of a sudden. Uh, I guess he was just on sabbatical from the Russell campaign, and now he's uh, to do or to do his work on the Russell campaign. And when that folded shop, when they lost the nomination, he's just back now. Uh, who did Will's job while he was gone? Yeah. I wonder. <laughs> yeah. Who was well? And that's the thing. Like Toby wasn't doing much of anything, and now Toby's right. officially not doing anything. So right. Um, <laughs> who was? Who was to, was it? The Lawrence, the girls in the football jerseys. Yeah, <laughs> the the interns from Georgetown. Yeah, maybe they maybe they all got promoted, or one of them did, or something Heck, like that. More power to them. Working off screen, but yeah, Will <laughs> is back all of a sudden. We'll get more of Will next episode, as now that Toby is fired, uh, he gets basically Battlefield promoted up to uh, full director of communications and also press secretary, uh, or at least it takes over the briefings. Yeah, uh, temporarily. But we'll get into that when we talk about next episode. Uh, let's talk about the Mr. Frost thing. Which yes. So this is the continuity pay, from... Pays off? <laughs> Question mark? Yeah. In this episode? <laughs> this is, like... It's so, so, so Kate, weird. Kate, Kate's bad at him. Kate summons him to the sit room. And he's like, all right, great. I can't wait to brief them about, you know, all the shit I know. And she's like, no, no, no. You're no we're not doing that. You're going to tell me what you know, and then maybe I will talk about it in the sit room. But also, you're fired. Like, fuck you for, <laughs> yeah. like, going around channels and Sorry. talking to the White House chief of staff about these upcoming presidential assassinations that you were, by the way, 100% correct about. Yeah, and... Like, you can't do that. You can't provide intelligence to the White House chief of staff when you scheduled a meeting with her, with Margaret. 
Well, or and like you can't skip a link in the chain because then how else are those links? How else are those links in the chain going to make themselves look good based on the work right. that you've done? Right, by taking credit for for your intel yeah. and what have you. Uh, I guess that's what this is. Like, like he committed the decorum breach by not allowing the higher ups the right to either poo poo it and or take credit for it. Well, ultimately, I it's, think the funny thing is that um, if I was Kate. I would be buddying up to this guy to tell him yes. to shut the fuck up because they messed up and ignored him. So I wouldn't want him to be implicating me in the chain of command. Like, I, right? What? <laughs> right. Like, if the press finds out, like that, there were you know memo of like you know Bin Laden determined to strike U.S. That's basically what this guy has is like a memo of like you know presidential assassins determined to strike Kazakhstan that he wrote two weeks before the assassination happened. And, like, if the press found out about this, yeah, absolutely. I would not want it known that, like, oh, I, I, yeah, he talked to the chief of staff, but, like, whatever, we wrote him off as a crank. Yeah, dude's a crank. Like, that's going to go over real well. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to go over, like, fucking gangbusters. Oh, my gosh. And then, yeah, it ends so bizarrely. Okay, so he talks to Kate. Kate's mad at him. Kate then goes into the sit room. Uh, the the normally uh, acerbic uh, uh, general military general who's like a dick to CJ most of the time has the right of it here and is yes. like you know he's like you know when we do intelligence we like it to be accurate <laughs> uh, and meanwhile the intel community people are like well you know what this is this is Russia uh, biting heads with China because uh, Kazakhstan was going to do like. A train with China or something geopolitics, blah blah blah. Trust us, this story makes total sense. And and it and CJ's like, okay, so Russia bad, and it just kind of fizzles out. And Mr. Frost invites Kate to get coffee, and it literally just ends on that yeah, ambiguous yeah. note. <laughs> it's like, well, uh, five o'clock. Guess we're uh, heading uh, to the bar, right? You want to come? I guess we're going on a date, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's really stupid. And again, my headcanon is that Kate basically had Mr. Frost disappeared because he made the intelligence <laughs> yes. blob look bad. And he's in a body bag somewhere, you know, in a compost heap in Upper Michigan. Y- yep. <laughs> That's what happened after coffee. <laughs> God, all right. Is there anything else? This was, I mean, Jesus Christ, don't watch this episode. Nothing important. Yeah, it's a slog. We're really... Uh, I, we made it sound fun because we only covered the fun bits, but like, yeah, it sucks. It's I will. Bad. I will say that Oliver Platt fucking rules, and sure, he's, he's good. He's Always. had like a really fun and interesting career, and so just like him being again, it's a goddamn good thing these guest stars are all pretty brilliant because right. otherwise this would be impossible to like, watch. Impossible to watch. Yeah, totally unwatchable. Yeah, like, you know, you get through with the crutch of an Oliver Platt giving you, like, some really good shit so that even if the scene does go long, you're like, well, you know, at least I got to watch Oliver Platt do some work. Yeah, he's, he's you know, he's, he's doing Bants before Bants were a thing. Like, it's, it's right, good. Right, yeah. Like, he's, yeah, he gets a couple funny bits in when, when he's questioning Toby and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, yes, very droll or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, it his little commentary. It's always, it's good stuff. But yeah, overall, slog of an episode, uh, especially do... just kind of knowing that this all ends in a big nothing burger for Toby. Yeah, so actually now is a perfect time because what we do see one like 
on the on the campaign trail scene this time around and it's the santos campaign talking about basically women's issue yes like generic sort of women's issue there are some special interest groups that are maneuvering and they are they are trying to figure out like how to engage women basically like correct there's a sexual assault accusation and they're they are debating whether they can like like get their records from the hospital or something and (laughs) so ned one of the campaign advisors gets it completely wrong um being being like we must allow them to release this woman's records and go public with it because you know we have to like protect these women or whatever it's like okay so you're going to protect them by publicizing their name private private information yes just letting everybody know that they're like that whatever the issue is and honestly it's it's hard to fucking track but there is a quote here that you've noted in the notes we're democrats we have to come out strongly for a woman's right to choose (laughs) no yeah no okay yeah no turns out you actually just pivot that into a fundraising email and make bank so ned gets fired and this this segues into the broader staff get fired the broader topic of the second episode, which is women's rights. So let's take a quick break and then we can pick back up and talk about the second episode because this has some of the most fucking psychotically insane, like, quote, political analysis writing I think I've ever seen in a show. And with that set up, let's take a break. So today's second episode. It's entitled The Al Smith Dinner, which for people not in the know, the Al Smith Dinner is a big fucking muckety-muck fundraising thing for the Alfred E. Smith Memorial Foundation that's held in New York City. It is a basically aggregate Catholic charity group that, you know, basically they nominally support children. (laughs) Yeah, Catholics. Um, Insert some jokes here. um so anyway as as described in the episode is the biggest political non-political event in new york and the premise is that they're basically both the candidates are supposed to show up yeah and they spend the whole episode debating whether they want to do so right uh vidic because he's not religious and santos because he's liberal i guess (laughs) so so ostensibly within this one tiny thing and you'll note that it's like Religion and New York City, you know, home of godless communists. <laughs> so by by virtue of combining the two of them, we have a wonderful opportunity for the show to explicate its third way middle of the roadism between the ultimately the the, uh, the issue we're going to be talking about today is abortion between the anti-choice Republican Party with a pro-choice candidate, candidate in Arnie Vinick. And the nominally quite religious and Catholic Democratic Party candidate. Who is anti-choice, actually. Who turns out is pro-life, personally, like Tim (sighs) Kaine. Yes. But uh, but has a pro-choice, quote-unquote, platform. 
So, <laughs> all right. The, the backdrop of this being set, we get people like the campaigns are beefing about debate setups and blah, blah, blah. And they're, they're arguing over the whether to go or not to go to the Al Smith dinner because for both sides, it is nominally somewhat contentious and risky to do so because they will be pressed on an issue that they that they know that they personally stand in opposition with their base right. on. Right. And yes, exactly. Uh, they, well, they're both pro-choice and the Catholics are you know, anti-choice. So they, yes. they basically don't want to go to an anti-choice event, uh, even though Vinick is getting pressured so much by his campaign to go because uh, like Dean Norris is like you got shored up with the with the fucking anti-choicers, man. You know you're you're leaving them behind, and they're like a big part of our base. And you know, and, and Vinick's just like, yeah, but like I am pro-choice I, though. Yeah, like, like I'm not gonna lie to them. Like, like you said, it just comes down a lot to like I get to be the good Republican, while while yeah. all the, his background machinery is like I really hate women though. Yeah, like. <laughs> frothing at the mouth over like how dare these women have control of their bodies but like they're but it's also the thing that's so insidious is that the implication just by having the two adversaries contrast with each other is that matt santos is the quote good like made up good democrat who believes in like i the fucking i don't know use whatever word you like the sanctity of life Well, no. Or, like, or he like, keeps saying he's a very much against that. I see what you're saying. He is the good, he is the somehow pro-life yet pro-abortion Democrat. Like he is somehow virtuous in that regard. Yes. They are, they are both virtuous in ways that are in opposition to how reality should work. And right. so obviously this is fucking catnip for these writers. Yes. And now them, them being the dumbest people imaginable they sort of personify this fundamental conflict in the person of a special interest group's like chief executive who comes to the Santos campaign. She's a woman. She's like, I don't know, it's some made up name. It's like Progressive Women America or whatever. She, she comes to the Santos campaign and threatens to endorse Arnie Vinick. If they don't because, like, go because harder it seems- on abortion kind of thing. And, and the thing is, ultimately, her reasoning is it seems like he's got the nomination or the, the election Locked up. sewn up. All right, because now we're back to nine points down. Um, or earlier in the episode, we get, you know, and the polls are consistent, we're told. You know, because the one guy tries to be like, hey, Martian Vera might be six points. And Janine Garofalo is like, it's been nine points for like three weeks, asshole. Yeah, <laughs> that's why we have tracking polls. Yeah. Um, so they're down, and Vinick does in this moment in time. It looks like Vinick is going to win, but a why does that matter at all? He's a Republican. Who cares? I. It is the dumb, like the the dumbest person's idea of the smartest person's like triangulation of on like, this issue. Well, I'm just going to throw in with the winning team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Haha! I'm like, playing you both against the middle. <laughs> like you're. And ultimately, it's just like, what coattails are you going to ride with the fucking frothing theocratic nationalist party? Yeah. Like, like okay. Because they're 
can their chosen candidate their one bro- singular person? Yeah. Look at all the judges that he's gonna appoint, all the fucking like down ballot tickets that he's gonna help win for the crazy right wing governors and shit like well, that. Well fucking Dean Norris shows up as one of them. <laughs> as a crazy like right wing governor. As now. a crazy right winger guy. Yeah. And he's, he's the one yelling that you gotta go to the Alphabet dinner, tell him you fucking love babies and you wanna protect all babies. <laughs> Especially the white ones. You know what I mean? Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> That's right. You know what I mean, Arnie? They're minerals, Arnie. Um, so it is the fucking worst. It is god awful. And to ultimately the biggest insult is to place this argument in the mouth of a woman, especially. Right. To be like, oh, it, it seems more reasonable because it's a it's a female voice saying Same. this. Right. And, or it just, I, I guess it makes sense that a, a woman would be the head of a woman's group in, in the West Wing writer brain, you know, of like, well, they're a women's group, so therefore it's 100% women. <laughs> well, and you also, you noted that, like, that her part of her rationale is that, oh, of course, the fringe anti-choicers would stay the fringe. Right. If, like, you know, we elect this. <laughs> what fucking world I... It how is, many, it how is many completely... Republican presidencies have you lived through, woman who looks like you're in your 40s? Yeah, no shit. I, it is completely insane. And so it is, it is just really awful to grind this shit out where, again, there is no good side in the show here. However, as you also noted, Leo... You know, nails it. Mensch <laughs> that he is, nails it in like two gets, sentences. Gets it in one. Like they're, the, yeah. I forget who's calling him. Josh or someone is calling him, and he's just like, "Why don't we just say we're Democrats? We're the pro-choice party. Sixty percent of America agrees with us. Boom, done." And it's like, "Yeah, that's where you should land on this, absolutely." But like, because Santos himself is like, as we find out toward the end, personally pro-life, and he has to keep doing this weird dodge of like. But I agree with Vinick on partial birth abortion. And, like, I swear to God, they used the phrase partial birth abortion so many times, it lost all meaning for me midway through the episode. Yeah. Ultimately, it's a meaningless term to begin with. And it's just like, oh, um, I'm being semantically satiated by this word. Like, right. my brain is turning I, off when I it hears they, it. I think the writers think it sounds smart or something rather than just saying abortion <laughs> yeah. or something like that. But, yeah, but ultimately, they're both pro-choice at the end of the day they want to quibble about some of the details like oh 12 weeks 16 week blah 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 but like at the end of the day both the even Vinick says roe v wade is established law of the land which you know dark dark Uh, lol on that one yeah no shit 18 (laughs) years later here we are he's Um, like even i don't want to change that no like the country doesn't want to change that i'm not gonna change that (laughs) well here by god is that the supreme court's music (laughs) Well, so it also like that's to to a certain degree, that's the point that everybody should take away from this is that it doesn't matter what an individual candidate thinks about any of this shit. Correct. It does. It honestly there are doesn't structural even matter. forces at play yeah. here. And especially with the campaigning, so many of these just come down to weighted coin flips, you know, like, oh, where's 60 percent of the electorate on this? We got chase. You know, oh, 55% of the electorate likes this thing. Oh, you know, 58% likes this. It's never like 90-10. Not for like big contentious issues, you know, like abortion. It's never going to be 90-10. It's never going to be a slam dunk. So they're always just chasing these marginal coin flips. And like, you know, so just go with Leo's thing, you know. Hey, 60% of America's pro-choice. We're Democrats, so are we. 
Boom, done. Like, it's Emma's easy peasy. Emma's actively, actively texting me, being like, is there anything? Like, do, you, do you need me? So let me take a break and ask her a question, and sure. we might come back with a guest star shortly. Welcome back. We wanted to get a woman's voice on this, so we've gotten Stu's wife, Emma, to come here and chime in with her thoughts on this particular subject matter in the episode. Emma, take it away. Uh, being called in like Donna. Because <laughs> we're going to give yeah, a successful uh, Our official worst, worst wing spokeswoman. Yeah, bringing a 40-somethings woman, soccer mom from the Midwest. That's I don't have kids, but... No kids. Um, but you, do you make the look? That's all that matters. Yeah, I'm, I'm white and blonde, so I look just like Donna. Um, Photogenic! Yeah, this is a disgusting episode. It's, um, as a, I mean, diehard West Wing fan, this is disgusting and um Stu did not let me speak the entire time we watched this episode and we watched it several times um because i was just getting angrier and angrier and it wasn't helping mm. anything yeah um there's only i mean with before the fall of roe it was already this argument didn't make any sense santos's statement of you know legal safe and rare is a republican talking point that is not that is not the reality of the reproductive health world. We did kind of make the point before you joined that like um, neither candidate has a like an, a relevant position on it because they're trying to triangulate completely with Vinick's the good Republican and Santos is nominally the the good Democrat. Good, good Democrat <laughs> for like the other side of the coin. So I'd actually, <laughs> I'd actually argue Vinick is the only one that's consistent. Um, when Leo is the only one who has an appropriate line that begins to go down the surface of what it means to be not just pro-choice, but actively pro-women, pro-reproductive health mm-hmm. um, on any level. Um, when he says, this is where the pro-choice party, like, damn right, we're pro-choice. That's what, yeah, proud of it. Um, yes. But Vinick is the only one that continues to say, like, Nope, this is disgusting. This is a distortion of my views. We are not, I am not trotting this out. He backtracks several times in that. The Tippy Hedron comment is one of them. Um, But at least he's just like, I'm not discussing this. There is no, I'm not, I'm not going to play this game about semantics. Take down this ad. The person who is really the most disgusting is Josh Lyman, which (laughs) add to the list. Um, Shocking. I know. Especially when... The part that really actually hits me the most, just because I've experienced it, is when the when the lobbyists want to have a meeting and he says, like, oh, yeah, have it's about an endorsement. Have Leo take it. I don't want Santos anywhere near pro-choice people right now. And it's like, this is actually exactly the moment what I would expect from a true pro-woman, pro-reproductive healthcare candidate right now is to say this is exactly the moment to join hands with the activists, with the people who are on the ground seeing the reality of a post-Roe world and say what kind of response, like someone is opening the door for me to take this on and to own this issue and support this group of people yes, get me in a room with them what does, 
what does a statement look like that enables you to do your work more effectively? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, and in theory, that's exactly what should be happening with our like our good heroic Santos protagonist. But that's like that's so outside the Overton window of West Wing. The idea of like go talk to the activists and help them that like it's not even thought about as an option. Yeah, we also don't ever mention what actually reduces abortion. Um, we don't talk about mm-hmm. comprehensive health education at v- a variety mm-hmm. of ages and you know medically accurate, age-appropriate health education for young people. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. do not talk about a consistent, reliably affordable access to contraception, long-acting mm-hmm. reversible contraception, you know, condoms. We there's no discussion of right. any of the other ways to prevent an abortion. Right, all these things that would keep girls out of Planned Parenthoods, you know, none of that actually comes up in the episode. No, and even then, the we don't we all, they don't go into it because they think it's just implied. But this seems to be the idea is that this is somehow shameful, and the reality mm-hmm. is, odds are you all know women who have had abortion. It is incredibly common. It is incredibly safe both mm-hmm. medical and and by the pill. I mean, it is mm-hmm. an incredibly important part of healthcare. And the the idea that these are the two extremes or that, that Vinick is considered moderate is ludicrous. I also want to chime yeah. in briefly and make a note that like the position of of in a vacuum reducing the number of abortions is completely fallacious. Yes. Like I don't Right. I, I don't. I don't give a shit about the number of abortions. Right. You, you can have like fuck. I, I don't care if that's really your thing. Fucking honestly, I am one of those fringe lunatics who, heck, if you get pregnant and like you're excited to get an abort, like okay, fine. I guess fine. Great. I, I don't care. Sure, it's a smokescreen issue. You know, it, it shouldn't. It's not about the absolute number. For anyone, it's just, you know, it all just boils down to a moral absolutist fight about, you know, oh, I'm saving babies versus, you know, we're protecting women. Which women is, have rights. rights. Which yeah. is the other, yes, let's be clear. <laughs> the entire argument about, about limiting access to abortion or banning abortion is about the subjugation of women. It is not mm. about babies. It's not about families. No. If people actually wanted to have a conversation about protecting families and making their lives easier, we'd be talking about paid family leave. We'd be talking about free childcare. We'd be talking about sure. health care costs. Medicare for all. Medicare for all. Yeah. Uh, that is not all a... We'd be talking about make... free preschool. We'd be talking about right. afford- affording college. Um, that is not what this is about. This is about uppity women who enjoy having sex, who should be punished for that. And the, the criminalization of women and of any childbearing person is what's happening. And we're seeing it happen in a post-row world. We're seeing it across the board, not just in the states that have actually outlawed abortion, which is horrific. And we're seeing the numbers about how that is impacting women's health, not just those seeking abortions to end a pregnancy, but women who are experiencing miscarriages. And Mm -hmm. we're also seeing it in pro-choice states. I'm sure everyone is, if you are not aware of it, Walgreens is getting their asses handed to them, rightfully so, because they cave to a bunch of Republican attorneys general, even in pro-choice states like Kansas, where they actively put abortion protections into their constitution this year with overwhelming margins. And mm-hmm. their attorney general said to to any pharmacy, 
if you dispense the abortion pill, we will come after you as a state issue. It is completely legal in the state of Kansas to to get an abortion, to get access to the pill. And Walgreens caved and now a pro-choice state. Like, just because you live in a blue state does not mean this is not going to impact you. This episode does not even scratch the surface of the implications of this argument. And it is now watching it from a post-row vantage point. The right, idea that's that Janine Garofalo is just sitting there talking about flip-flopping is like, I, I hate you all so much. <laughs> I fucking hate this. <laughs> My yeah. uterus is yeah. growing. <laughs> it's... It's really bad. It's just like it's completely outside the scope of their imagination. On the one hand, I don't want to blame them for that. Like, you know, they didn't have a crystal ball. They couldn't see the future. And at the time, this idea that Roe was basically established law was basically the sort of the political canon, if you will. Uh, and no one could imagine it going away, uh, particularly not in 2006. This is. Uh, when this is being filmed. Yeah. Something like but that. at the same time, it's also this is a show that's supposed to really like get into the sausage making of politics and really like, quote unquote, you know, capital D discuss these issues. And like we we talk about abortion a lot in this episode, but the topic is handled so clumsily that we don't really say much about it. And what we do say ends up being, you know, disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. And any I think like in a broader implication too you have to take a position because americans as insane as americans are the one thing they're really good at is like they are fucking like sharks for weakness if you yeah. if you are if you are wishy-washy which i guess is kind of goes into the flip-flop thing but that's not it because flip-flopping implies you are changing a stayed position not having right. a stayed position at Wishy-washy's all. Wishy-washy is even worse. It's even yeah. worse. And frankly... <laughs> then flip-floppy. This yeah. is how we get people like fucking Henry Queller as, you know, something that the entire Democratic Party goes out of their way to defend. And he's an anti-choice Hispanic congressman now. I also don't have a problem mm. with people changing their mind. I think that means that you are open yeah, but- to, new pri- to new ideas and you are listening to people and you have an open mind and want to hear new sure. perspectives. So I was bringing it up as the oh, yeah. flip-flopper thing. Janine like, Garofalo's this was obsession. right after Carrie. Yeah, this is right after Carrie in like the real world. And I think being a flip-flopper is still like a big liability in the minds of the political types in this moment. Especially when you are expected to take on such a vehement position where you are certain of how, what you believe in order to be elected to office. Um, mm-hmm. And so the idea that then it is politically damaging if you change that idea means that we that we are catering to the two to the extremes of both sides which is not helpful to anybody in terms of this episode we aren't even talking about the extremes on the main topic the the a storyline we're not even really going there we're just saying that religious people are also, they are anti-choice. Let's be clear. These are anti-choicers. Right. Hey, there is a correct usage of that in yeah. this episode. Yeah, Vinick yeah. brings Arnie up Vinick anti-choice. Yes, yep. as he, I said, Arnie Vinick is surprisingly... A- surprisingly woke yeah. on, on the issue. But again, this is a trick the show likes to play a lot where he's like the good Republican who gets to kind of butt back against his shitty campaign who's being like a little too right-wing for his taste. I think there's also a distinction to be drawn... Emma, I I agree that changing your mind based on evidence or information that you receive and then evolve, quote unquote, thanks, Obama, evolving on your position 
is is one that is applicable to things that require evidence or new factual information. new information to formulate. Right. Yes. A moral stance, in my opinion, should like be like a woman's right to choose. Exactly. Should be absolute. There is no new information that would lead That's to, going me to change changing a woman's right to choose. Yes. Right. Thanks, men. I mean, and that's. I, <laughs> I mean, thanks, guys. I just want to. I just want to make that a very clear distinction because yes, I also think that like, look, if I if yeah, I learn like on stuff, COVID on or COVID whatever, or whatever you I'll know, think we, differently. Yeah, we change our and update our information, but you're right on moral issues. There's there's no information that's going to change certain fundamental morals I also that don't, one has. Yeah, I also don't have a problem. Like the idea that there's a bombshell twist at the end that Santos is actually. <laughs> anti-choice which he's not um you can hold a personal belief and make a decision for yourself and not have then not turn around and utilize that to pass policy that forces everyone he's he's doing the tim kane thing which is fine i know plenty it's it's whatever your decisions are for you that is the beauty of reproductive freedom is you are allowed to have access to whatever reproductive health care you want that works best for you and your family. Right. We are child-free I would by argue choice. We shouldn't even hear about it. Yeah, yeah quite frankly. Yeah. Like, why do we care? We are child-free by choice. You on anything. That is a decision that we have made as a couple. We have availed ourselves to comprehensive health education, to access to reproductive health care. That is a decision we have made. That doesn't mean that we think everybody in the world needs to be child-free by choice. And if we were in power, if we had the power to make law, we would require right. that. You can, right. you can, the, two things can happen right. at the same time. It's, so, right. It's like, you know, I'm sure the Santoses have a dog. They're not going to institute like mandatory dog owning right. or whatever. It's like the same thing. You can use the... Just, I mean, Santos is a character that has two children. You should be able to understand, and from what they at least show us, lives in a, I would say, a modest home. From nice, what we, Texas McMansion. Yeah. Yeah. But like what we yeah. are led to believe is not a gregarious level of wealth. At, you know, no, he's in a neighborhood. He's, he's not an oil tycoon. Right. No, he's just like a congressman. Rich. So in theory, not, he sh- you know. he should be able to say like, okay, how much how much does it cost for us to feed our kids, to give them dental care for their schools, for clothing? Therefore, knowing that, how can I help out, you know, less advantageous yeah. people in, in my community? Yeah. What does that mean? Let's give them access to health care. Let's give them Yeah, he's, to he's education. played as in touch in that regard, you know, right. he's, he's from the block, you know, he has the anecdote about the kids who like looked out for him when the FBI were interviewing and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. So if, he, if his moral standard is that he and his wife would never have considered this an option, that's fine. He is not making policy. Mm-hmm. And he's Catholic. He's Catholic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is not making policy that would force his, and he says that I'm not going to force my religious views on other people, which I right. appreciate. Because we have separation of church and state, yes. of course. However, and all that good stuff. The idea that the only moral choice is straight up or down being anti-choice is is so yeah. It's treated very godly, like you know, like he's he's like a holy, like he's you know he's virtuous for being for believing in life and conception. And like I said, it's weird. I think the show really, really tries to have. It's cake and eat it too with both of the candidates mm-hmm. because what the writers mm-hmm. are saying mm-hmm. is that not only are the, do these guys have these somewhat conflicting positions, both of them are virtuous. 
for having right. so. And that you've got, limits... You have the virtuous, uh, not religious Vinnick for pushing back against his crazy religious right. But then you have the virtuous religious Santos for believing in God while well, being a godless liberal. And that Vinnick is against partial birth abortion, which is a fallacy. That's not I a mean, thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's not, like, right. there is no such thing as a partial birth. That, that doesn't exist. Uh, yeah. That's just a lie. Well, That's and, a marketing tool. And, and again, both of their, each moral stance in this point is within this extremely circumscribed, narrow portion uh, of acceptable of part of the Overton spectrum. Like the, exactly. The Overton window is like, it's like a fucking Overton arrow slit at this point. It's a it's slice. Like, this yeah. tiny little space within which to maneuver. So, of course, the fucking show ends up going down these incoherent directions of writing because how can you even represent these positions on a broader scale like on a broader scale like in any other arena it's completely nonsensical i'm glad you asked that Stu, because the show has an answer for how they're going to reconcile these positions (laughs) and the answer is a great debate one one real debate (laughs) i love the emphasis on it being a real debate you know as opposed to all those fake debates i mean you know what i mean folks it is a callback people just recite their their talking points yes it's a callback to the primary fight in season six where santos wants to have all these debate like get rid of these debate rules and whatnot and they do the he has the alternative the lincoln douglas style Mm -hmm. debate yeah it's a callback and i get that um i hate the episode i mean i hate this one but i hate the episode that's coming up um yeah even in yeah even in my west wing (laughs) obsession me too even when i love the show i hate i typically skip that episode um so have fun the two of you i will not be watching (laughs) (laughs) well i think we're also gonna take your suggestion to heart probably of like doing a live watch slash record i think it'd be i really love that idea it's it's very meta. I like it. I, it's the, I will watch for that. Okay. I'll watch so we, if you guys we, we get, We'll set the microphone up in the middle of the room and just shout at the TV together. <laughs> yeah, you can be the peanut gallery. <laughs> great. great. I'm all for that. Um, and then otherwise... Statler and Waldorf. Yeah. yeah, otherwise the only other like way that they resolve this issue is they don't bring it up again. We don't hear right. about hey, it. They Mr. Frosted abortion. Yeah. <laughs> they fucking... They ultimately shake hands at the behind the scenes of the Al Smith dinner... And they're like, you know what? We basically agree. Why don't we just have the debate? And then they agree on that. And that's how the episode ends. Yes. And I will say the, o- the only thing that then becomes even more ridiculous is future episodes also go into other issues that they don't. Di- this just becomes a pattern where they're not yeah. actually looking. They're not dissecting the issues. They are not even framing no. the full context of any of them. Um, and this is the one that impacts me the most be- as a woman of childbearing age uterus owner yep um (laughs) proud carrier grew it myself um but other upcoming episodes will very poorly delve into race do this yes do this with other things so Mm -hmm. um just a just a prelude hooray before the show i talked about with Stu how like in arrested development there's the one episode where Lindsay makes hot ham water by boiling a ham in a pot of water, and the water has a smack of ham to it. And that's basically what the writers do with issues, where the, this episode has a smack of abortion to it, but it doesn't really go anywhere. Mm, a nice, the, the nose on this glass of episode has mm, notes of race. It's like, okay, great. Yes, well, if, um, if I was voting in this election, uh, neither of these candidates would be considered 
like pro women. It's, it's a real Jack Johnson versus John, Joe yeah, Johnson, John Jackson, Jackson <laughs> which I'll be honest, thing where the, it's that's not that, and they're both charismatic. So like you know, and it's a choice that it's a choice that um, pro choice women have been. We have been having this argument, and that <laughs> internal debate. Since we got the right to vote, quite frankly. Yes, since, since the 20s. <laughs> oh boy, what's this election again? Two shitty dudes again? Great. Oh, oh, I'm so excited to pick between two shitty dudes who don't actually address my issues or fight for them you know right who, now. You know who I would have voted for contemporary with this episode? Dennis Kucinich. He is clearly uh, a feminist and very... Pro-choice, because how else would he have a smoking hot wife? He's he's basically Ed Begley Jr.'s character from so, the earlier seasons. So as your wife, um, judging a woman based on her appearance is not appropriate. I'm sure Uh-oh. she had to lower to her standards to deal with Mr. Kucinich. She is an incredibly intelligent woman. Who She owns a farm. She is a lovely human being. And... Um, Dennis is very lucky that she lets him in her presence. Cut, cut, cut. This is all cut. <laughs> we, we love your comments. That's why it's so hard to cut them. <laughs> okay. Men should not be rewarded based on the attractiveness of their wives or the women in their worlds. Okay? Not appropriate. Anyway. Uh, let's, take a, let's take a break there and then we'll come back and wrap up. One other subplot I wanted to discuss in the second episode is Will's battlefield promotion to director of communications. Now that Toby is out, uh, Will has to then take over for the press conferences. And obviously the first thing the press wants to ask about is Toby getting fired for leaking the space shuttle information. So Will goes out there with this like a uh, little bit of introduction of like, hey, I'm Will Bailey. I'll be taking over, you know, I'm director of communications now. I'll be taking over the press conferences. Uh, and before we begin this one, I'm going to read out this new initiative that the White House is announcing about like small business creation and improving the economy. And <laughs> it's this like pathetic fig leaf that he hopes anyone is going to ask questions about. And instead, they all immediately ravenously start asking questions about the Toby situation. Uh, which he then just keeps like deflecting and deflecting and deflecting throughout the episode. It's like this running bit that he just refuses to answer any of their questions. And eventually he just sort of gray rocks them into reluctance. And Stu, as you said, it's like when the S- Springfield children get the uniforms put on them. Yeah. <laughs> and we just cut to the press and they're so morose and beaten down and refuse to ask any questions. And just one reporter is like, oh, uh, Will... How long has it been since a president went to a Native American reservation? Tell us. And Will's like, well, it was Franklin Roosevelt in 1936. Thank you. Next question, (laughs) please. He has successfully bored them into submission. It's good stuff. (laughs) Now you are the one who is it. Understood. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... 
Um, I guess just in, in summary, thank you for listening to us talk about these episodes. Don't watch this shit. This is the worst fucking TV. It, it's really just god-awful. Like we said, thank God for guest stars because the traditional cadence to a West Wing episode combined with this just absolutely depraved perspective on these issues is just excruciating. Like It's rough. It's real rough. The campaign used to be our breath of fresh air. Now even the campaign yeah. is becoming a slog. One by one, you know. The dominoes fall, fall. And, we, <laughs> and we lead to our inevitable conclusion. Uh, so we'll be back to discuss uh, more episodes next time. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. You can always comment in either one of our threads. Uh, if you found the show a different way, hi, hello, welcome. And you could email the show, if you'd like, at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. It's always nice uh, with your questions, your comments, uh, whatever your feedback feels like. And uh, as a, until the, the next one, uh, everyone just stay safe out there and have fun. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye. But don't ask me to come on over.